This is the PR Podcast, a show about how public relations helps you tell your story to the world. We talk with great PR practitioners who have the skills, creativity, and just plain savvy to get their clients noticed. Now here's your host, Jody Fisher. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the PR Podcast. I'm Jody Fisher. Thanks for joining us. Well, have you got yourself that PR Podcast plug yet? You know, I mention this all the time. PR people, at least I am, terrible at promoting ourselves. We're great at promoting our clients, but when we start to talk about ourselves, we're like a deer in the headlights. So this is the easiest way that we PR people can plug who we are and what we do. Uh, and we love talking about people's uh, not nine to five, right? Their side hustle, their passion project, uh, your website, your blog, your TikTok. Maybe you're a guitar player. Maybe you're a chef. Send us that thing that you just love to do. Maybe you won an award. Oh, that would be good. You know, we had a uh, one guest uh, write us that they that they won an award. T send us that stuff. Send us the stuff that lets us promote you and what you do and who you are, and maybe even send a little business your way. Who knows? DM us on Twitter or any of our social media platforms at the PR Podcast. Send us that thing that you just love that gets your juices flowing, and we will plug you at the top of an upcoming episode. Now on to our very special guest with us today. Let's get right into it. David McAlpine is Global Head of Public Relations at Illumina, a biotech company that makes DNA sequencing machines. Now, before that, he was the head of PR at General Motors, where he worked directly with the CEO. He's also been a network news TV producer, a network TV news producer. Did I say that right? He's a news guy. He's a TV news guy. He was with CBS this morning, where he won an Emmy for Outstanding News Program. He specializes in boiling down complex ideas into consumable information that is suitable for either the mainstream or specialty media. And he's multilingual to boot. David, welcome to the PR Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jody. So you and I share similar background, right? News guy turned PR guy. I know. Uh, yeah. what's, the, what's the advantage to being in that position where you used to work on one side of the desk and now you're on the other side of the desk? You know, I think I think the overarching advantage is you understand both sides of the crazy, right? Like if there's just a specific kind of crazy in news and there's a specific kind of crazy in PR and if you can appreciate both, it does kind of like help you just manage expectations a little bit. Um, but I mean, also it's it's kind of knowing both ends of the workflow, right? Like I've been in that conversation. I've been around that table where we talk about, you know, what's going on for the day, what's newsworthy. And then I've also been around the table where it's like, we've got this great new product coming out of this great new initiative. How do we maximize coverage. And so, you know, being able to bridge the gaps and also, as I like to say, you know, speak journalist, I think that's one of the challenging things that people have in PR and also in journalism speak PR. Like there is a, there's a way to bridge the worlds. Uh, and um, it, it's nice to have someone who's kind of fluent in both languages. I love your description. <laughs> Understand the crazy on both sides. Because <laughs> it's true. I sometimes use the phrase juggling flaming chainsaws. Yes. But it's the same spirit, right? It's just like, <laughs> yes. know, if people knew what went on behind the scenes oh. to get the thing, the product done, whether you're in the PR side or you're on the news side, they would just swear us off. Um, but let's talk about your career journey and how you made the jump. Yeah. from TV, from broadcast news mm -hmm. over to PR. What was the what was the catalyst or what was the thing that made you move over? And what was that journey like for you? 
Well, uh, I think like most of us, COVID forces to rethink a lot about our lives in general, right? Um, and, you know, I was, I spent 10 years in TV news. I was always the yes guy. I was always like, yes, I will work the weekend. Yes, I will work the overnight. Yes, I'll do this. You know, when I got into network news, because I started in local, but then when I started to be a field producer for the networks, you know, that is no holds barred. You know, when I worked in Washington, D.C. and I covered all of the important people, you know, you're jetting off to all these different places. And if you don't say no, yes means being on the road 240 days a year, right? And and it's it's fun. It's fun for a period of time, but there is an expiration date because none of us are meant to do that forever. So um, I think I started to hit my point where I just wanted to reevaluate what, you know, my nine to five or, you know, my 12 to nine or whatever the, the hours look like. Um, and I, you know, I just, I saw, uh, just a little bit of a difference in TV news and, and where the resources were going and, and I wanted a new challenge. And so I started to look for, um, spots in communications and I kind of stumbled upon the position at General Motors. They were specifically looking for someone who had a background in broadcast. Um, and I thought, okay, it's a fortune 25 company. They have a really cool product line, right? Like they've got cars that you can't, you, it's, it's great to, you know, work with cars because it's tangible, it's there. Um, and they're America's largest automaker. So why not give this a shot? So, you know, I, I talked it through with my then bosses. It seemed like the great fit. Um, I'm originally from Chicago. So I, I kind of understood that Midwest mentality of, of, you know, a lot of the Detroiters and Michiganders that I worked with at GM. Um, and it just kind of felt like home. You know, like after after working on both coasts, you know, it just I was like, okay, like Midwestern uh, grit, like here we go. Um, and it was it was a great transition, um, but you know, it obviously it was it was a little bit bumpy for me just mentally because you, I had to shift my entire thought process, right? Like, you know, it was it was trying to understand a very complicated corporate structure on top of working in corporate communications for the first time. Um, and so while I was super happy, I made the switch, you know, it was, it's funny because my career has always been sink or swim opportunities, right? Like I moved to Seattle, uh, at 22 in a really big market doing a more, a very fast paced morning show. I really could have screwed up and it was a sink or swim opportunity and I swum and it was great, you know, and then, and then that's kind of how I found my way through my career. And this was another one of those opportunities where I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew that the end result could be great. So I figured, why not give it a shot? Now, it's, it's interesting that you went inside, uh, from straight from news, you went to inside PR, uh, corporate comms, mm -hmm. as opposed to agency PR. Right. Um, and me having been on both sides, I find that agency sort of more closely reflects the attitude of the newsroom as opposed to internal corporate. Um, I'm a, a, a bit of a cowboy. And so I don't do well with rules. Right. <laughs> and so the couple of times that I've been inside uh, internal PR or, or, you know, corporate communications, um, I haven't done as well as I've done on the agency side. What was your experience? You know, I think it's funny that you mentioned that because I would agree with that. And I've never been on the agency side. And, and actually when I was interviewing for several in-house positions, trying to leave CBS or just, you know, move on with my career, um, a lot of the feedback that I got was I didn't have that agency experience that they were looking for. 
um, which I thought was funny, right? Because I was like, what better agency experience than working in a newsroom on, you know, all these national outlets that you guys want to get into, right? Um, and I think for me, the idea of going into an agency was actually a little daunting because it was so undefined. Like, you know, like if you go work for one of the big name agencies, you don't really know what kind of accounts you're going to be working on. You don't really know where you're going to end up. And while that's exciting, I thought, okay, if I'm going to make this jump and I'm going to really transition my lifestyle and my thinking, I wanted to be in a place where I could at least have some kind of guardrails and definition. I quickly learned that a GM, because um, it's a huge company and it's going through a massive pivot right now, those guardrails weren't as strict as I thought they would be because <laughs> we crossed all spans, you know, like I had to learn all the legacy auto stuff, but then there's so much tech stuff going on there. You know, I, it kind of knew no bounds um, and I really had to work very closely with our fantastic agency partners, but you know, it was, I just, I kind of wanted just a little bit of definition um, and that was what was exciting to me about it. That's interesting. That's uh, and and that's terrific that you recognize that about your personality and how you made it fit that opportunity. But you got thrown right into the fire too, right? I mean, you're working with the CEO. You're working at the top level. Oh yeah, I mean, so I. It's funny because I came into a company that you know was was not necessarily broadcast friendly. You know, I'd gotten a lot of feedback that the company was you know, a little media shy, um, and understandably so, you know, I mean, if you look at GM over the past 20 years, you know, the recession hit the company really hard, you had the ignition switch uh, issue in 2015. So, you know, the, the company has gone through a lot of ups and downs, but, but I came in at a time when, you know, EVs are one of the biggest talking points in Washington, across the country, whether you like them or whether you don't, but it's a, it's a talking point, right? Um, and so my point was, you know, we can really punch at our own way here at the, at the we are, again, America's biggest automaker. Like, let's not lose sight of that, right? Um, and so, you know, it, it took a second to get people used to what we could do on television. But then once I started showing the results of, of what we can do on television, um, then it just all kind of opened up, right? Because then everyone saw all of the really great, things that can come of it and, and not to, you know, not to knock print because I work really closely with, with a lot of print colleagues now, but you know, when you're talking about a car and you're talking about like our main message was get in an EV and we'll show you it's a better car. That's a really hard thing to convey in a wall street journal article, a New York times article, wired article, fast company. But if you show it on NBC news, it that's show it, tell it right there. Like that's basic PR. And so I think people saw like the lights start to click with people when we were getting our executives and our products on television um, a lot more. And so then that kind of followed. Um, and then you're right, the fire just only got bigger from there because I was there for some pretty seminal moments in the company too. But it was, you know, it was crazy, but it was fun. Are there moments along that journey where you looked at what you were dealing with and sort of what you had to, to the challenges you had to face and you're drawing on your TV experience, you're drawing on your broadcast experience. I'm sure you are every day, but are there some specific moments that you can recall? You're like, wow, I wouldn't know this if not. Oh yeah. So we had um, our first big post COVID event was when we opened up our electric vehicle factory in Detroit in November of last year, November, 2021. And um it was this whole big production. Like we finally got to do stuff on a plant floor. It's a really fun working in a manufacturing environment because everyone is so passionate about it, right? So we had all these like 
We had um, the Hummer EV was the big product at the time. It can crab walk, it can move to the side, it can move diagonally, they go fast. Like it's a really cool car vehicle. I've learned it's vehicle, not car, because it's a, it's a super truck actually. Um, use the correct terminology. But um, then we found out, uh, I think four days beforehand that the President Biden was gonna come visit as well. So all of a sudden everything had to unwind because you know when the president comes to town then you have a whole added layer of stuff right you have security you have timing like all of a sudden it's not just your event it's your event plus president biden's coming um so you know i um i i working and having covered the white house i kind of was able to prep everyone for like what was to come because i remember it happened on a thursday we found out and we had to move the event back a day and I was prepping everyone, like, here's how it's going to look like over the weekend. I flew to Detroit the next day, and I was like, you guys, the White House press office is going to come in, and they're going to say, we got to do this, this, and that. And so it was just kind of preparing everyone for, like... Yeah, yeah they're going to turn everything upside down. Crazy right? that Basically. was about to come. The other thing was, though, that I fought to keep was we had we were ringing the, uh, the New York Stock Exchange opening bell that day. It was the first time we'd rung the bell since uh, the company re-IPO'd post-bankruptcy in 2009 or 2010, whenever that was. Um, and that's something that I had pitched because um, when I was a, a local news producer in Seattle, we always hit the bell at 630 in the morning because it was like part of our strategy to like show that there's active things going on. And that was the thing on the West Coast that I always loved was I was like, oh, it's 630. But, you know, the day's getting started in New York. That was kind of like my fixation on the East Coast. Um, so when we were thinking big about this, I was like, why don't we bring the opening bell to Detroit to the floor of the factory? And everyone naysayed it at first. They were kind of like, oh, well, I don't know about that. But then it, there started buzz started to build. Um, and then we actually did it with like the live countdown. And it's it's really simple TV, as I'm sure you know. Everyone loves a countdown. Everyone loves amp, like, you know, like that buzz beforehand. And then there's that moment. And then it all kind of rushes away. But it's just, it's it's a big moment. And that's kind of what I took from my TV news experience was like how to build these really big, fun moments that you know last a little bit but the but the tail can last a lifetime it's so funny you mentioned that it's it's similar to a ribbon cutting right yes which in pr is like oh my god we're going to do another ribbon cutting really but it is such a simple concept that media and especially visual media photographers videographers can wrap their brains around and point their camera at and say here's action here's this thing that's happening it still works Right. Well, and I've been doing this for 25 plus years and ribbon cuttings still. Yeah. got to jazz them up. You got to make them, you got to give yeah. them a little bit more, something more, but right. I, I'm hearing that that's the, you know, the NASDAQ bell, or, or, I'm sorry, the, the stock exchange bell, mm -hmm. um, really similar to that ribbon cutting effect. It was, it was the same thing. And I mean, like I always said this to my team, it was the first, the biggest, the only, like that's what we learned in journalism school, right? Like if something is the first, the biggest, the only that's that's automatically makes it newsworthy and not only was this our you know one of our biggest uh uh well first of all it was our only factory in the city of detroit it was one of the only automotive manufacturing facilities in the city of detroit it was our first electric vehicle manufacturing plant like there were so many first and onlys and then you add the president coming you had a bet like I mean, it's like, what else, what what more could you ask for, right? Now, I will say, would I want to go through that crazy again? Absolutely not. That was, that was, that was five days of like, that, that was a lot. That was, it was, it was, a, it was a really busy five to six days to plan for that. And just a lot of build up to it. Um, and then adding on top of it, 
you know, coming out of COVID. This was, that was the company's like coming out of COVID party, right? Like we're back in person and, um, you know, we had had manufacturing employees on the floor for a while, but this was like the first time that we had a lot of people in a room at once doing something big. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really fun moment though. Very cool. Very cool. Now let's talk about how you transition that experience yes. plus the broadcast experience into what you're doing now with Illumina. Uh, am I pronouncing it right? Illumina. Illumina. Sorry. Yeah. I got it right in the intro. I, no, got okay. right. I got it wrong there. Um, but this is very complex stuff. I mean, this, right. So tell me about, first of all, tell me about the company and then tell us about sort of what you do with them and how you get press for something that I would think that most people go, oh, that's cool. But then when you get into it, sort of their eyes glaze over because they can't understand what you, what it is. Right, right. So while well, Illumina is a company that makes DNA sequencing machines. So a lot of us may know the basics of DNA from AP biology or biology in high school, you know, Punnett squares, ACTG, you know, all the bases that make up kind of what is all of us. It's it's the it's the human genome. It's it's kind of the map of our bodies and, and our beings. Um, and so the, the way that I like to put it is, you know, there's a, there's a difference between genetics and genomics and that genetics is kind of the study of the hereditary part of where you came from and the genomics is what makes up who you are. And so our machines at different levels enable researchers, clinics, labs to make these breakthroughs and empower information that we get from the genome to help make, you know, life-changing decisions. We're talking you know, the fight in cancer, the fight against rare diseases, um, agricultural things, you know, like making a more resilient crop in climate change, you know, fight, uh, changing, uh, uh, making UTIs, which is act, which I found out uh, is one of the most uh, common infections in healthcare associated settings, lessening those across the US, you know, like, and people worry about sending their parents to nursing homes, like that's a legit concern. So, it's, it's really, there are so many applications for genomics and the information that we can get from that. And our machines enable other people to make those breakthroughs in, in making the applications that can really affect our daily lives. You know, so as, go, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so, so as you're pitching these stories out, yeah. are you taking the, the big science that you just described and sort of boiling it down to specific cases? Like here, this thing can do this. And let's talk about this specific thing. Um, how, how are you going about finding stories and how are you going about pitching stories and connecting with the reporters that are going to be interested in them? Absolutely. Well, so it, it's it's funny because GM and Illumina kind of have the same thread in that, you know, GM had the auto beat and Illumina has the biotech beat. So I'm already working with a group of reporters who are already very focused and very knowledgeable on the biotech industry, the biotech sphere. And I mean incredibly tapped into what's happening in genomics, especially if you're out on the West Coast, San Diego, which is where Illumina is headquartered. Um, you know, it's a big tech hub, genomics hub. Boston is the same way. It's that's kind of the bi-coastal area of, of biotech. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of understanding, like, I kind of tear it in my head, like, 30,000 foot view, 10,000 foot view, 5,000 foot view, and then at the, at the surface in terms of where the literacy of people is. So I can understand when we do have a story, you know, where it might fit in that tiered system. And then also how to just think outside the box a little bit, right? Like it, this is, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit different in that, you know, our machines enable applications. So we're not B2C, we're B2B. Um, 
but you know, kind of seeing the application through and then understanding, okay, where would the press fall in that B to C function that we don't necessarily touch, but we enable? And how do I get that to kind of transfer down? So it, it's kind of a two-step process, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And that sort of segues into what I was wondering is that you said you talked about the B2B application and the fact that you're working with reporters who are well-versed in this uh, subject matter area. And that's great. Um, do you ever attempt to communicate with mainstream reporters, maybe on a topic where you know, they're writing something that is, I'll use the phrase pedestrian, more pedestrian or more sort of uh, sort of homegrown as opposed to something that's firmly in tech. And how are you making that jump? Yeah, I mean, all the time we're thinking about how do we go bigger? Because this does really tie into the idea of precision medicine, which, you know, President Obama presented when he was in office. President Biden has made it in, in a big cornerstone of his administration as well, especially the Cancer Moonshot Initiative. Um, so it, it's finding those applications that kind of affect more people. Like I said, cancer is something that affects far too many Americans. And it, it's something that oncology is something that's top of mind for how Illumina can help in that space. Um, you know, and so it's it's kind of, again, understanding the, the wider application. Um, and then, you know, really making sure that my executives are enabled to talk about it in a, in a, in a friendly way. Um, you know, but I mean, the other benefit that we have is, you know, we're, we're a fortune 1000 company. So we're, we're a pretty big publicly traded company. So by, by virtue of that, you know, the business media is interested in us and what we're doing, and we are a global leader in genomics. So kind of people see us as the marker for where the industry is going as a whole. But the fun part of that is, you know, I see what we do is not only pushing Illumina, but pushing genomics as a whole. And that's really important, right? And everyone can get behind that. So it's it's kind of being knowing when to speak about Illumina and knowing when to speak about this industry is is getting bigger. And here's why that's important. And as as part of what you're doing for them, as as part of that subject matter experts injecting your people into uh, stories that are getting written about the topic, or are you strictly focused on what the company does and sort of pushing those proactive narratives? I think it's I think it's both. Um, we have some. I'm very fortunate to have a bevy of subject matter experts at 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 that I get to work with every single day at Illumina, who are both great internally and externally. So I I always operate under a no dumb questions policy. Like I will I've got my my people who I can like Teams message or email or call. And they are all willing to sit down with me and explain in layman's terms, or at least I can try to get it into my head, the layman's terms of what's going on. But then they're also really great um, and, and kind of fearless, which is awesome, right? Because there is a lot of fear sometimes involved in media. Um, but I got a lot of I got a lot of people who are who are pretty fearless and very gung-ho about, you know, really preaching the power of genomics and, and what it can do and, and where it goes. And, you know, it's it's understanding kind of like where, you know, one level of SMEs would sit versus, you know, where my executives can go. Um, and, and everyone's got a really great story to tell and a great personal aspect too, which is really nice. Um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd. I'm not as much of a nerd as I want to be. There's, there's always more stuff that I can <laughs> learn. Right. Um, but when it comes to tech and stuff like this, I'm, I'm all in the tank and, you know, I'm encouraging my kids to be studying math and science 
Um, even if they don't go into that, they've got to know it because I think as a country, we are we need to be better in math and science. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so much opportunity out there. I mean, you, you, we don't even we can't even predict the opportunities that are going to be ten years down the line, maybe even five years down the line. No. Um, but but for for guys like you and me who have a background in journalism, who then switch over into PR, are there is there a personality type that that you need to get into the kind of work that you're doing now? I mean, who's best suited to do PR for a tech company like Illumina? You know, I think you need to have kind of a gentle approach. I mean, you and I have probably both worked with people on the PR side who are like really at like a, at, at like a 12 all the time, right? And, and those people are awesome. They keep, the, they keep the morale up. They, you know, and they do a lot of really great things, but I've, and, and sometimes I can be at a 12, right? Like I just had two Red Bulls today. So I'm, I'm kind of flying high right now. Uh, but you know, and so I can, I can be at that level, but I know that when I approach and I, and I learned this through working at GM too, like I worked with a lot of engineers at GM and now I work with a lot of really smart scientists at Illumina, literally like throw a dart, you'll hit PhD, Ivy league, like really smart people. I think it's learning to meet them at their level. Um, but then also be engaging and willing to learn, um, and then willing to work with them to kind of get it to a point where you're both happy with it. You know, it's, it's, it's being open to hearing what they have to say and what they think is important. So it's, it's almost, you know, I don't approach them with, this is what the story is. I say, this is what I think the story is, but you tell me if I'm wrong or right. And, and being able to openly, you know, have that conversation with them. So that's why I say like, you know, if you're, if you're kind of at a 12 and you're really like, cause there are some people who are, you know, really great at the, at the pushing and the bugging journalists. Cause that is a, that is an art of its own, right? That energy, I don't think really works in the STEM field because of the personalities that do really well in that industry on the, on the technical side. Um, you know, and, and, and then on the flip side, you've got some really great logistical minds in PR who can, you know, plan events as you know, the, the day is long, right. You know, they can put together a great run of show. They can put together a budget. I am not good with money. That is not my forte. My boss would kill me for saying that, but it's true. Budgets are not my favorite. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I don't think that they would, they would, that personality type would also not do well because it's, it's, you sometimes have to pull the thread out. So it's like, it's a happy medium in terms of just meeting them in the middle, in a way, it's almost like interviewing them. And I think that's why I found some success in it is because, you know, I've interviewed so many people who I never met before and you have to meet them at their level and get them comfortable enough to talk about it on camera. So I'm removing the camera from the situation, but still trying to treat it with that gentle care that I would in, 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 in like even in an in a MOS situation, you know, like, yeah. It's it's a fascinating field, and and it's really interesting to hear you talk about it, David. Um, we are going to uh, wrap up our conversation there, but maybe we'll have you back to talk more about this sure. because I'm sure I'm sure six months from now there's going to be something brand new in this field, and, and you're going to have to explain it to us, right? Yes, yes, that's great, that's great. Yeah. All right, we are going to segue now though into the rapid fire question portion of our sure. podcast. This is where we steal a page from inside the actor studio, ask our guests a series of rapid fire questions. These are meant to elicit a simple answer maybe a laugh or two david so with your indulgence here we go sure. rapid fire question number one what is your favorite news source uh tmz but if we're being like tmz is my first stop of the day um but then if not uh it's a new york times great stuff great stuff rapid fire question number two what's your favorite social media platform tiktok 
I spend way too much time on it. <laughs> it is. I am. I am. I, I am in the tank on the TikTok, um, and and I've just been trying to figure it out. I'm I'm better than I was a couple of months ago, but I still watch some of these folks, and not just the silly dance folks, but like people are really creative on there. If you're watching the right stuff, it's an art form. I love it. Really great. Rapid fire question number three: Coffee or alcohol? You already talked about the Red Bull. Well, I was gonna say it's both. Um... Yeah, I've and I've been known to combine the two, <laughs> but I would I would say I am a heavy user of both. There we go. Rapid fire yes. question number four. What's your favorite on the run food? Oh, if I'm trying to be good, it would be like a sweet green or like a bowl. Um, but nothing beats like a really good slice of pizza. Ah, there you go. That's the right answer. I love it. I love it. Rapid fire question number five. What do you want to be after you finish this career? Oh, that's a great, I, you know, I don't know. I've had so many, this is such a cop-out answer, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've had so many iterations of my career. I've just learned that like I've planned and planned and planned and planned and planned and then all the plans go to bust. So it's like, why even plan anymore? Like I, what I really have tried to focus on, and this is my mantra for 2023 is live in the moment. I love that. That sounds like good advice. Yeah. Well, thanks again, David. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Please let people know how they can find you online. Sure. So my website is davidmcalpine.com. Uh, my email, I'll give my work one if anyone wants to reach out and learn more about Illumina. It's dmcalpine at illumina.com. And then I'm on Twitter at davidmcalpine. You can reach me, DM me, all the things. I'm also very active on LinkedIn if you search my name, um, You know, but more than happy to meet, greet, connect, all the things. That sounds great. Thanks for your time, David, today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the show. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at The PR Podcast and send us a question or a comment. Our intro is by Christopher Apple. You can find him and his fantastic photography on Instagram at Christopher underscore A-P-P-E-O-L-D-T. Check him out there and hire him for all of your photography needs. You can find me online at Jody Fisher on all the socials and on the web at JodyFisherPR.com. We'll see you next time on the PR Podcast. Yeah.